The word of the Lord from Luke chapter 23, verses 27 to 43. And there followed Jesus a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus begins his ministry, the first words we hear him say are in the synagogue at Nazareth. He visits his hometown on the Sabbath, and he reads from Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll, looks at those gathered, and announces, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so his public ministry begins, and it's off to a good start. Jesus is the Christ, anointed with the Spirit by his Father. God has not forsaken sinners. True to his promise, he has come in the flesh to redeem the world and save sinners, 
He has come to conquer sin and death and devil. Now in our gospel reading for today, the last Sunday of the church year, it looks like sin and death and devil win. The one who came to proclaim good news to the poor is about to have his own clothes stripped and gambled away. The one who came to proclaim liberty to the captives is now the prisoner dragging his cross to his execution. The one who recovered sight to the blind, he's about to be blinded by death. The one who came to proclaim good news has no good news for the daughter of Jerusalem that day. They weep and lament his imminent death, but he tells them to weep for themselves and for their children. Remember, because the city rejects Jesus and his word, it opts for a religion of zeal and rebellion against Rome, and Rome will crush Jerusalem. The daughters with children then will wish they had been childless for the horror they must suffer. But if the city rejects Christ and his word, there is nothing left to restrain evil. If the world rejects Christ and his word, there is nothing good left at all. And Jesus is rejected by the city. The rulers scoff at him, crucified, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. How's that for sinful man? Rather than call upon Jesus for salvation from certain death, they determine that he's the one who is lost, that he's the one who's hopeless. Sometimes this last Sunday of the church year is called Christ the King Sunday, but rather than a passage about Jesus reigning in glory, as he certainly does, you get Good Friday again. But then again, you're looking at this scene with eyes of faith, and so you see what's going on. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, says Isaiah. The one who preaches good news to the poor is bearing their poverty to the cross. The one who proclaims liberty to the captives, he is now captive in their place. The one who recovered sight to the blind is now burdened with all infirmities and all sorrows. On Calvary, he appears stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God because though the wounds are inflicted by ugly sinners, Jesus is stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. He is pierced for your transgressions. He is crushed for your iniquities. Upon him is a chastisement that brings you peace. And with his wounds, you are healed. So, even as the leaders jeer at him to save himself, he remains on the cross to save them. He's come to save by his suffering and by his death, and so he prays for them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then there are his last words spoken to another human being before he dies. It's to the criminal crucified with him, the one that makes that astonishing confession of faith. 
The criminal declares that Jesus is the Christ who has done nothing wrong, but that the innocent Christ is suffering the death of guilty sinners anyway, and that he, the criminal, is one of those. Then he declares his faith in Jesus and in the resurrection, for he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the one whose first words to the public were, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, now says these last words to the criminal, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Remember, his first words in his public ministry were to say that he had come to preach good news, release the captives, remove infirmities and more, take away sin and its wages, restore what was lost, and what are you left with? Paradise. Despite all appearances on Calvary, Jesus declares his mission is accomplished. He speaks once more to commend himself to his Father, and then he breathes his last. He has chosen not to save himself, so that he might save sinners. He rises again and ascends into heaven, but not before he promises that he will return in glory, and not before he promises, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The last Sunday of the church year finds you waiting for his return, and sometimes that wait gets long. For all the ease and sophistication and comfort of the lives we enjoy, the times feel jagged and raw. The words of Malachi 3 in our Old Testament reading ring true. We live in a time where the arrogant seem blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape, and all the while getting a ton of likes on social media. You've got the culture wars and the news every day, where all sorts of people justify all sorts of sins and deny all sorts of obvious truths. And the damage of this generation will easily last to the third and the fourth. In our supposedly secularized society, there's a prevailing false religion where politics is the false god, where the other side's candidate is the Antichrist, and the world will end if your guy doesn't win. Were this true, by the way, it means that we have the power to end the world by voting for the other guy, which is pretty impressive if true. I say this to show how ridiculous a misbelief it is. And yet so many Christians appear to fall for it. Set aside all the cultural storm and drong, and you've got your own collection of sins that you're battling, not to mention a fair share of worries for others and cares that weigh you down. Those things grind. And as they wear you down, sins look like they matter less and help more, worries magnify, and cares can crush. And then you're on the precipice of that dreadful declaration and question in Malachi 3, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? In other words, it can be pretty easy to look around and think that the days look pretty dark 
and that Christianity is losing. But then you remember that the day Christ won your salvation looked a whole lot worse. But by his blood, God has conquered sin and death and made peace with you. And if his total victory over sin, death, and devil at a place called the skull looked that bad, you can conclude that, true to his word, the Lord is still at work today. Do not let dark times serve as an excuse for sin, be it sins that claim they help you cope, sins you figure you can quit before your end comes, or sins of worry and despair. Do not act as though you can do nothing to push back against the darkness and then yield ground through quiet and capitulation. You are the light of the world, enlightened by Christ in your baptism. Given that, the world might look darker still because you know the light. And so the world will do its best to make you uncomfortable because you do not dwell in the shadows. And the evil one will even tempt you to believe that hope is too painful to hold on to. Flee the darkness of sin and cling to Christ. He is risen from the dead. He has made you his own in your baptism. He continues to visit you. His word is not just an inspirational letter from the past. It is living and active, forgiving your sins and strengthening your faith. By his word of grace, he keeps you alive in the darkness and holding on to his promises. His supper is not a measly symbol of mere remembrance, but he delivers his body and blood, crucified and risen again, to you for the forgiveness of your sins. Where you are still dogged by past sins, remember your Savior on the cross who prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, with those words, he prayed for you, too. And because he has borne your sins to the cross, the Father no longer holds them against you. Keeping in mind the daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for Jesus as if he is lost and never to be found. You know exactly where he is, enthroned in heaven, ruling over all things for your good, present in his word and sacraments to give you life. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Where it is given you to weep, weep with him, knowing that he weeps with you. You will mourn as he mourned the death of Lazarus, but you will hold on to the truth that he called forth Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead. And so he will raise your loved ones who died in the faith on the last day too. You will mourn over the devastation that sin brings, even as Jesus wept at Gethsemane. But you know that this too is a momentary thing, because he has carried your sorrows to the cross, and he will wipe every tear from your eyes. Take heart and remember the penitent criminal. His confession is your confession, for with him you confess that you are worthy of wrath for your sin, 
And with him you confess that Christ died the death of sinners, although he was innocent and holy. With that criminal, then, you hear Jesus promise to you what he said to him. You will be with him in paradise and forever. Take courage. On this Christ the King Sunday, you see Christ your King crowned with thorns, bearing your sins, and healing you by his wounds. Because of his death and resurrection, he lives and reigns forever, and his kingdom is yours, and you will live with him forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.